You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to the Beer Tour Guy podcast number 38. I'm your host, Steve Johnson, owner-operator of Motor City Brew Tours, Detroit's original beer tour company. You know that tour company that used to take people to breweries back when we could do that stuff? I'm that guy. Uh, And today I got a great show on episode 38. I got Kyle from Griffin Claw Brewing Company in Birmingham and Rochester Hills. And he's here to talk all about Griffin, bandanas, garage doors, whatever we want to talk about, right? We got a whole hour if we want it. So Kyle, second time on the show. Do you remember the other show? Uh, Barely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that doesn't. Was, that's not the answer I was looking for. Well, I was. I, I had a lot of beer that day. So. Oh, okay. We had. We both had a lot of beer that day. That was back when we did shows in studios, and we weren't just staring at each other through cameras. So, uh, that was Those episode days. eleven. That was probably the first year I did shows. I think I don't remember when I first started doing these, but we had a lot of fun then. And uh, we're gonna kick off kind of like an update almost. So we sort of gave a lot of Griffin Claw history all that good stuff, right? We're not really going to do that on this show. We're just going to talk about the beer scene now, what Griffin Claw has been doing in this COVID world and all that good stuff and act like we're drinking. How about that? Does that sound like a plan? I'm drinking coffee, so we'll go with it. You sound like you're drinking coffee, man. You, you're sounding caffeinated. Very, very. I need to. That's how I survive now. I've gotten into uh, cold brew coffee now. That's kind of my thing. Is that what's in that? Yeah. Yeah, that's trouble. It's funny because I diluted a bit at home, but like if I'm out in the world and I get it somewhere, I guess I don't realize like how tame mine is at home versus like (laughs) other places till I have it at other places. And then like, bam, my head like just blows up going crazy. And then other people look at me like, yeah, that's what it normally would taste like if you weren't such a wimp about it. Right. My, uh, my wife doesn't make very strong co- uh, cups of coffee, so I really don't drink a lot of coffee at home because it's just watered down. It doesn't give me the effect I need and want. So uh, I spend a lot of money on coffee, way more than I should, uh, way more than a normal human being should. So, uh, But it gets me through the day. You know, it's funny. Like You talk to people who say, like, oh, I'm drinking less alcohol, but you'll hear, like, but they're really into, like, coffee. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're spending money one way or the other, or maybe both, right? In your case, you, you work at a brewery, so you kind of got access to products, and that's a cool thing, right? But yeah. the coffee thing, I guess you need to, you know, your wife needs to work then at a place that makes <laughs> coffee. Huh? What do you think I, of that? Yeah, I, 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 would, uh, I would love that as opposed to the, the teaching situation that she's currently in. So I would love for a, a steady flow of caffeine into my veins as opposed to the drama that is teaching the drama that is teaching uh yeah. where does she where does she teach uh bloomfield hills so she's uh deals with mostly uh special ed students in bloomfield hills and and teaching scene right now in covid is is the unknown right now at least i have the known where people love to drink and continue to drink in covid uh we do not know whether she's going to be virtual or in uh, person uh, because she has a different set of students and different set of standards. Uh, right. Her students need a little, yeah. I mean, her students need a little more uh, hands-on attention as opposed to alcohol drinkers don't really need hands-on attention. I think we've proven that as alcohol drinkers, we don't need quite as much attention. <laughs> I hope so. 
so of of some of the maybe few places that I've really been grabbing carry out beer from because I live in Berkeley and I'm down the road from you in Birmingham, I've used Griffin Claws carry out service. I got to say like the multiple times I've used it, I think I've used it three times now. Your staff's on point. Like you guys really got that dialed in in a way that I'm sure was a little bit of trial and error. I, I kind of enjoyed a lot of your early posts as we were kind of going into this and everyone was sort of trying to figure things out, right? Let's go through kind of, let's, let's, let's go back to like March ish when uh, this all started happening. And uh, what were some of the first things you guys had to kind of think through and adjust at uh, Griffin Claw? That, that fateful Monday was, was uh, very, a hard day. It was, uh, it was us trying to figure out what we're doing. And, you know, even though we're, we're in distribution and even though, you know, we're across the state, uh, most of our, you know, profit comes from our tap room and our tap room has always been home base, uh, for kind of what we do as a company. And then to suddenly have that be taken away was worrisome. So all upper management sat down in a room and basically, through ideas at each other of how we're going to make this go. And, um, you know, we're not open on Mondays normally. So Monday we had a whole day to think, and then Tuesday happened and we opened that, the tap room with all managers, no servers, no bartenders, and just kind of went and just kind of you know, ran with it. I have a, thankfully I have a sales staff across the state of Michigan and we brought all of them in and said, okay, this is our life now. And just kind of ran. I mean, the first couple of days we did uh, delivery. Um, so I was driving around, you know, the greater Detroit, metro Detroit area, delivering beer and food, whether it was a four pack or, or, or uh, a full meal. And that quickly uh, died off because we couldn't keep up. So the first two days we did delivery, we had to stop that because we couldn't, our kitchen couldn't keep up. Uh, and then we, you know, within a week deli- uh, found out that we could do some online ordering so we developed that over the next couple of weeks after that. And it was, it was a constant evolution and it was, you know, some days were really good. Some days were really bad. And we had to figure out how we kept, you know, we could keep the, the restaurant afloat throughout this. And uh, the tap room was press, like priority number one of trying to figure out how to keep that going. And, you know, do we do growler fills and how do we do that? And, then we had to figure out how we could get more growlers here because we were giving growlers away for free. So, because we weren't accepting anyone's outside growlers because of sanitize, um, sanitize, right. you know, being effective and um, as sanitized as possible. So we had to give away growlers for free, and then we weren't doing growlers, and it, it was constant change and constant evolution to make sure that we were we were staying on top, and uh, it worked. And then it kept on going and then it kept on going. And, you know, I was here seven days a week, uh, 10 to 12 hour days to make sure this is uh, working right. And, you know, our marketing director and I basically set up a cot and lived here. Wow. <laughs> and it worked and we kept it afloat. And uh, it, it kind of gave me a, a much deeper appreciation, not only for the hospitality scene in general, but uh, for just our staff and I miss them dearly. I wanted to go back to my way of life. So I'll bet you do, right? Like that, that obviously wasn't your, what you signed on for per se, right? When you came to Griffin Claw X years ago and, and have been pumping out the sales side and making stuff happen there. 
thankfully, yeah, I didn't, I did, I didn't sign up for that. But at a certain point, you have to take, you know, some stuff into your own hands and just get it done because I don't want this to go away. I don't. I, we right. weren't, we weren't in risk of like dying or falling apart. But at a certain point, you just have to step up and just like, okay, let's go, let's do this. And we had a lot of um, self motivated people and personnel at Griffin Claw that just didn't question and just went. And, you know, every day found something different, you know, whether it was producing sanitizer or bottling sanitizer or making meals for Beaumont or Ascension or, you know, doing these Memorial Day packs and Mother's Day packs and Easter packs. Uh, We just evolved and changed every day and it it worked, you know, and uh, we had some really good weeks here when we really shouldn't have because of what was going on. And um, I don't know if our business will ever go back to what it was before. I don't know what the future holds, but I do know that like if things change again, we're ready for it because we have the good people here that we need to help us move. So yeah, it really, it really lays out the fact that if you have good people and, and people care and want to make changes that you can make it happen in troubling, challenging times, we'll say it that way. Yeah, because in you know on the normal forty-hour work weeks were not happening. You know right. the the getting home at five o'clock—that's not a thing. Uh, you basically started at three o'clock, but then you had to get your 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 normal work activities done before that. So it was because in the same sense, the restaurant you know was taking precedent precedent, and the tap room was becoming a priority. But we were still moving beer and distribution, so. The beer, you know, the brewery behind, you know, those closed doors were still producing and packaging and, and brewing 24-7 because at the same time that our tap room was trying to survive this, you know, the grocery stores and the liquor stores were thriving. You know, packaged beer was going through the roof and we had to keep up. We haven't stopped beer production and packaging since like May. We, we haven't so stopped. when did the shift? So then how quickly, how much of your business was uh, draft or kegs out in the market versus the package side of the market? Were you more packaged heavy than draft heavy? Yeah, we were about 60, 40. So 60% okay. off premise, 40% on. Um, and I've always strived to kind of keep it around there. Uh, when I first started about five years ago, we were a little heavier on, off premise than I would like. Um, but it, it worked in our benefit, you know, and we have, you know, product and Meyer and Kroger and, and Bushes and, and Spartan and all these great, you know, chain and corporate stores that all of a sudden saw this huge influx of customers coming to buy stuff so they could go drink at home as opposed to the bars. So, you know, in the beginning of March, when all this went down, we had serious talks about limiting production and limiting brewing and, you know, at a certain point, only about half of our tanks were filled because we were all nervous. And then all of a sudden, that nervousness turned into, oh, crap. Oh. So we didn't look back after filling our tanks. And our tanks have been filled since about April, May. Wow. Been, like, literally, as soon as the tank empties, I have to fill it right back up with something else. Um, usually, I like to keep about 20 days of inventory in my facility for distribution. I have negative 15 right now. It's a, it's, Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, it, it's uh, in fact, I'm, you know, my phone's blowing up for my, 
local distributors saying, when can I get this? When can I get that? Because uh, we're either out or almost out. And it, it's a great problem to have uh, uh, this great demand, but uh, our normal days of like a hundred barrel tank uh, usually can be emptied within, you know, an eight hour shift. Well, now that I'm not really filling kegs, that uh, drastically changes the way that I logistically do stuff. So that a hundred barrel tank is now taking almost two days to empty because our canning line is not meant to do a thousand cases in a day. That's not something, I mean, a big boy probably can do that. Not probably. I know a big boy will do that. I cannot physically do that unless I'm asking, you know, my packaging guys to put in 80 hour weeks and then they don't have a quality of life. And for my product crazy, it's just trying to figure out how to supply that. Do you think that uh, your demand has, has continued strong because from a, a package standpoint, you guys are really in the marketplace at an attractive price point. That's yeah. got to be in your favor. I have to admit, as a as someone who's been in this world a long time ago, the beer industry, it besides the fact that I always loved your beer, was a fan of of your brewer Dan Rogers and what he was doing, you know, long before it was even Griffin Claw. But you guys have made an effort to have a, a good stretch of approachable beers at these attractive price points vis-a-vis the, the 15 packs and even really the four packs, that price point, both of those are really two great entry points that make people at the store shelf, you know, uh, like they can look at a 15 pack versus someone else's maybe high end six pack, or maybe just their 12 pack and say, wow, I get 15 with this and I'm at home longer. So like I'm drinking more at home. I want more and boom. Ha- have you seen like the 15 pack part of it? take off harder because of that? Yeah, because, um, I mean, we do 12 packs of norms. We do 15 packs of specialty items, and then we do 12 packs of seltzer. And those packages are to, are what is leading everything right now. And granted, like four packs of norms and Mr. Blue Sky are up this year too. So I have to like play this delicate balance of what do I package right. off of a 100 barrel. So usually like for Mr. Blue Sky, since I have four packs and 15s, 15s are... are such a they're up 20 percent over last year right now so i have to focus on that but then you know blue sky four packs are still being pulled from shelves and still there's still a, a demand for it so i have to do some of it as well uh where i'd rather just do the whole tank of 15s because that's a demand that we have right um, that's really tricky yeah it, it's it's this delicate balance of what do i prioritize prioritize um and i'm not going to be able to do everything but i have to do the things that make us you know the most business um, but the 15 packs and 12 packs, ridiculous right now. And then I mentioned seltzer. 12 pack of seltzer is not slowly, quickly becoming our number two item. Holy cow. I'm not totally surprised. I could say that uh, like uh, about three weeks ago when I did a carryout order, I had, um, let's see, I had two Pilsner by default, an El Ligaro, and a seltzer all in the big packs. And that was the first time I actually, I don't know why I waited so long to drink your seltzer, but that's the first time I tried it. I, I enjoyed, I think I enjoyed all the flavors. I don't know if I had a favorite. I enjoyed the peach and maybe the lemon lime a little more, but you know, the black cherry and the, the what raspberry, uh, all of those seem to be solid in my mind. It's not that I drink seltzer all the time, but as we get into this warm weather, I guess I've seen myself shift a little bit to like if I, if I'm hanging I might have three drinks and that might be one or two of them to kind of keep it a little lighter. Is that what people are telling you? And I'm, I'm sure that that price point you have on it is attractive since they're um, 16 ounce cans in a 12 pack at a, you know, 
16 17 dollar kind of retail that's a great retail for a lot of ounces of fluid yeah we um we didn't really know what we had i mean we started making these 12 packs of seltzer in january which isn't like peak seltzer month right and, and then kind of slowly went about it and and all of a sudden the summer hit and then a summer with covid <laughs> uh took off i mean we're we're packaging it this week um, and we're packaging about 3,500 cases of variety packs uh, this week, and it'll probably be gone within two, three weeks. Wow. It's, we're, we're approaching 12,000, 13,000 cases of that through distribution already this year. And for us, it's really difficult to make because it's a variety pack. So there's four oh, flavors, yeah. and I'm making you know 100 to 200 barrels of each at a time, so I have to package it one day at a time for four flavors. So four flavors, one day a piece. And then variety pack takes a whole day uh, to, to also put that in. I mean, I made about 500 of them yesterday. Me, my marketing director, my CFO, and Dan Rogers himself were putting a, you know each flavor into a variety pack for, because we need them. I needed them on trucks today. So seltzer is... It, it, trials and tribulations of having a, a package that uh, is in demand, but, but logistically is really, really hard. Uh, it's interesting, um, but I'll continue to make them as long as people buy them. So, yeah, I mean the market for seltzer, basically the, the larger pack sizes are all variety packs. I mean, that's what the, everything, all your competition, that's what they're all doing. You kind of have to be there doing it that way. Don't you? Yeah. I'm, I've wanted multiple variety packs uh, for a couple of years now, and I keep on getting turned down by <laughs> the powers that be because logistically it's almost impossible. Uh, but when we committed to making seltzer, I demanded it. It was like, either we do this or we don't. I'm not making, you know, four packs. I'm not making six packs because that's, um, which is not something that is viable in quantity play. I said, if you want to do this, we got to do a quantity play. They agreed. And they probably hate me for agreeing <laughs> with me right now, but uh, uh, it, it's working out. We'll continue to do it. Our packaging and seller team hate me on a weekly <laughs> basis uh, because of it. Um, we have 300 barrels coming off of seltzer this week. And I told them I'll give them a week break. And then I'm going to ask for probably another 200 the week after. So, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they, I'm not their, their, uh, their best friend right now. <laughs> Are you surprised by like how popular that part of the market's become? I'm a little surprised that it's maybe continued quite at the level it has. I, I expected a lot of competition to come in, but wow. I mean, the data out there nationally is amazing. Yeah. I mean, a couple of years ago, uh, White Claw was king and no one could touch it. And then Truly started like putting up some numbers and then when uh, the big boys like Bud and Miller and Corona and Labatt start getting into the game, you have something. There's something viable there. There's, there's some proof to the pudding of proof in the pudding of uh, there's some numbers to be gained. And so then you have some local people. You have Atwater, you have, you have Perrin, you have Oddside, you have us. Founders is dabbling in the game now. When people like that are starting to put their, their foot into that pond, um, there's money to be had. And, uh, I think we're benefiting a little bit over the summer by the fact of White Claw can't keep up with demand. So there's a lot of holes in grocery stores uh, where White Claw would be. 
Um, and I think um, we're benefiting from that. But I think this game is a long longevity. I think there's still going to be seltzer uh, money to be had in five to 10 years. I don't think it's going to go away. Um, I, I think we'll evolve with it. I don't know if it'll be as hot as it is right now. I don't think that'll stay. But I think it'll still be part of the FMB, the flavored malt beverage uh, category for a, a long time. Yeah, it's still it definitely kicked out all the more flavorful, sugar-oriented stuff that was really in that part of the category. You've really definitely see at the store shelf like that's really gotten smushed into almost nothing in a lot of the the bigger accounts, and uh, they've just expanded. Like I, I I shop at the Woodward Corner Market by Meyer, and um, you know they have they have a huge palette display of seltzer of which you guys got a corner of that now yeah. they've really kind of gone out of their way in there to display a lot they've also brought in that atwater one and the outside one you said as well and parent and they even got the wild basin the other one the other oscar blues one um it's pretty amazing in a store that's a little smaller but how how much they've pushed on the alcohol side they really have kind of a i'm kind of lucky in the fact that i can like walk up to that location and, and I can kind of see what's going on like that. But it must be a lot of pressure with Meyer and Kroger to kind of keep those guys happy because a lot of volumes going through those two. Yeah, and it's, um, it's also weird with the FMB's uh, cider game. So there was, there was a worry, or not a worry, just a thought that like Seltzer would be taking away from uh, cider or anything quote-unquote sweet Right, uh, just because that's the demographic, but I think uh, seltzer is a different demographic. I think seltzer, um, there is no such thing as as, as uh, specific demographics anymore. Um, you know, you could you could pinpoint your demographic with every beer that you have. I don't think that exists anymore. I think uh, it, generalization. I think um, across the board, demographics are altering and changing every second. So cider was always thought of, of like, you know, the angry orchards, the woodchucks, the um, strong bows. They've been declining for a couple of years. And then seltzer come in, came in and like, oh, it's going to be the final blow. It's going to take them down. Well, if you look at like IRI data, if you look at data across the state, Blake's, Virtue, Vandermill, they're doing their thing and they're up. Blake's is up like 170% for the year right now. They're, Isn't that amazing how they yeah. come in the market the way they have? I mean, my wife's a cider drinker, and we pay attention to everything going on with hard cider, including what you guys are doing, which we'll talk about yeah. in a second. And uh, I'm I'm amazed at how strong Blake's came in and really took tons of market share and went into tons of states uh, with it. Like, good for them for doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we were fans of Vandermill for a long time and still buy by those guys, obviously, and they're at good price points and, and everyone's moved into cans. So that's kind of, maybe that's what's helped cider. I think even a little bit is that they've moved into that form factor and they all seem to have pushed into the 12 ounce can, just like you guys are doing with yeah. black grass. Let's talk about black grass now. Absolutely. So black grass, black grass cider works. Uh, we officially announced it um, to the general public a little less than a month ago, maybe a month ago. Um, but we've been working on this for over a year now. Uh, Ian Radigas Givens, uh, the former owner of Sellermans, um, came to us uh, about a year ago, almost uh, almost exactly a year ago, and um, we we snatched him up and said, "Hey, we've been looking at doing a mead and cider program for years now. 
just haven't had the time, haven't had the space, but you're available. Let's do this. So he came over and started playing and started putting some trial batches in and tanks and uh, trying to tweak and figure out what we have. And then over the summer, again, COVID being COVID, we had a lot more time on our hands and a lot more time with each other. Um, so we kind of find tweaks and stuff, realized we had something that had some legs to it, put a name and a brand that was a little bit different than Claw, different feel in uh black grass was born so we i haven't sent this to distribution yet i'm gonna send it to distribution late september early october and uh i'm really really excited about what we have um in fact i'm under my griffin claw shirt i'm wearing a black grass shirt but um i really really like what ian does ian is a phenomenal phenomenal uh artist if you will yeah, I've known Ian for a lot of years from even his previous life at Bee Nectar and then yeah. the business that he had for a while with Sellermans and, and now with you guys. So we go back a ways. He, he always had lots of lots of talents and lots of uh, education into the, you know, knew a lot of history into the products that he was making that I always found interesting. I've had him uh, on the show before and uh, always enjoyed hearing him uh, talk about what they were working on. Always got me excited about cider and mead which is something that, you know, not as many people always get as excited about, but I love talking to someone knowledgeable about it. It makes me want to try it, which again is one of those things where, you know, who's your cider drinker, right? Well, I think that's, you're right. I think that's changed just like it has with seltzer. And I think there's a broader appeal if you're making an interesting, a good product that's interesting to folks, that's high quality. Wouldn't you agree? I do. And I think, um, the general consensus of what a cider drinker was 10 years ago was probably female dominated and probably sweet. Well, now with, with people like Blake's and with like Ancho and Virtue and Vandermill and Pucks, they're going a little, not a little, they're going towards that drier side uh, with a lot more flavor than just this diabetic, sweet, uh, sugary cavity driven product. Um, so Ian has devoted to being a very dry base. Now we, the first stuff that we're coming out with uh, distribution wise is very fruit forward. So, you know, fine apple, which is pineapple and cheap cran Cherokee, which is uh, cranberry and cherry, but that that's base, a funny name. I don't know yeah, why right? I never said the name out loud. So maybe I didn't like pull it in that way. That's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, Ian <laughs> still names all the stuff. So I'm looking at, oh, shit. I'm lo- I'm looking at the list and, you know, Young Homes to Bel Air and we have Juice, which is J-V-I-C-E. So everyone, can, you know, says J-V Ice or J-Vice. Right, right. Uh, Ian, Ian's hilarious. And we just kind of let it, you know, <laughs> let it roll off the tongue and see what see what he comes up with next. But, uh, uh, yeah, I he's genius. I think he's great. Uh, I was there yesterday because um, all of his stuff's being made in Rochester because we have the space and a tank space available. That's what I thought. And uh, he's making a, a peach cider right now, but he's determining whether it's going to be a peach Thai basil or a peach black tea cider. So he's playing with that. Mm. Uh, I He's brilliant in my mind. He has these two naturally fermented ciders uh, that are single apples from Michigan that he just let do their thing for about seven months and bottled it up. Gorgeous. Low carbonation, fantastic. Um, he has that blackberry lemonade cider called Juice uh, that he put in gin barrels about four or five months ago. 
that's doing its thing. Um, he, he doesn't really need any direction whatsoever because he, uh, he already has it in his brain. He's brilliant. And we're just going to ride his coattails. <laughs> of, of, Why wouldn't you? That was right? the whole getting him, right? That's an awesome thing. I think yeah, it's a, I, a good two-way street, right? He gets, he gets resources that uh, weren't at his disposal. And now he gets to have some creative freedoms for a while with you. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I the fruit of he's, that. He's Literally. such a good dude too. He's so he's set he's has stories about every part of the state, about every person in the state. He, he has more stories than I can ever fathom. Uh and he he just means well. He's just a good, kind hearted man that just so happens to be one of the smartest guys uh that I've ever met. And to to witness him and Dan Rogers in the same room is one of the most like interesting spectacles in the history of this industry he uh both very intelligent both both drastically different um and both come from completely different histories but yet mesh together pretty dang well and so dan these days dan rogers is now up in rochester hills too and he's doing all the experimental fun batches that we've been coming out with so okay it's it's ian and dan in the same building every day so it's, <laughs> it's really, except for today, actually, Dan Rogers is in Birmingham brewing on the system, uh, the 50 barrel system for the first time in almost two years uh, because we've been so busy. So, so it's a hundred percent of all the barrel aging is really done in Rochester Hills, right? Yeah. So um, most like 99% of the, the barrel aged start beer. So the beer that we, you know, goes into the te- uh, barrels is brewed in Birmingham we barrel them and then send them over to Rochester Hills where they sit uh, for 11, 12, 10, eight, whatever months that we decide. Uh, and then we, we ship them back here and unbarrel them here um, so that we can you know, mass package them here because our packaging system in, in Rochester Hills is uh, very small. It's actually the old packaging system at Sellerman's. So we, oh. we bought, yeah, we bought the canner, uh, <laughs> that Sellerman's, that Urban Rest, that Eastern Market was using. Uh, and uh, we that's all of our cans come off of that little packaging system. Uh, so I didn't, I did, guess I didn't pick up on that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. funny. That system's been around a little bit, eh? A little bit. Uh, it's tried and true. Uh, it, it's drastically different than the one we used in Birmingham. Uh, and eventually the plan is for the Birmingham system to go over to Rochester and graduate to a much bigger system in Birmingham. Um, but that comes with time. <laughs> You're not going to do that next week, are you? That might be a little tricky. No, uh, I, I hope for some downtime, uh, maybe some slower period of time. Uh, Papa needs a in. vacation. <laughs> I went to I went to Oscoda this weekend for the first like it was the first weekend that I've gotten away in months, and I took the family to a, you know Lake Huron and Oscoda for two and a half days. And, Somehow it was burnt my thighs. I don't, I'm very pale, very pale. And uh, it was the first time I've gotten away from Metro Detroit since probably December. So, oh my God. Okay. Yeah. It, it was, you forgot what the rest of the world looks like. Yeah, I know. I mean, I've gone, I've gone away for work. Like I was in Ohio last week for work, but that's not really getting away. It's uh-uh. drastically, or I keep on using the word drastically. Uh, it, <laughs> there's a lot of drastics going on over there. There's nothing that's, that's minimal. There's nothing that's simple anymore. So everything's drastic. 
let's talk a little bit about the spirits business. So you guys yeah. do, uh, you do rum gin, you do a rye whiskey, uh, you got a white rum, you got that weird Polish liquor thing. Uh, let's talk, let's talk a little bit about that thing. How do you say that? Krupnik. Yeah. Okay. That, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting flavor profile, by the way. I never, you- actually, I've never had it, or maybe I just haven't had yours because that's a, that's a thing for the Polish folks. I feel yeah. like I've been at some Polish celebration and someone put a shot in front of me and was probably something in that line. Maybe. Yeah, if you've ever had any of like aperitifs or digestives like uh, Jägermeister yeah, or I have, ugh, it, it reminds me a lot of that. It's a honey liqueur. Apparently, it goes well in tea. Okay, not my jam, but people loved it during COVID. We sold a lot of it during COVID. Uh, really? Okay. Yeah, our spirits took off in COVID. I mean, we've we've been making spirits and liquor uh, since you started some, Griffin, yeah. right? Yeah, because in, in order to sell anything uh, alcohol-based, uh, we have to make it ourselves. So we uh, invested in a little uh, still um, out the gate and started making you know vodkas and gins and whatever to make sure that we had it for you know our clientele. And then it started slowly evolved into a little bit more, and then evolved into something different, and got you know a dedicated spirits maker, and uh, got another. Um, column for a still and then got a uh an even bigger um evaporated still so that we can collect more liquor liquor and more heads and tails um and moved it over to rochester hill so it's all based on there now um but it's evolved into something different you know and we're going to take it into a bigger scale operation uh shortly Uh, we've ordered a bunch of different bottles and different look and we're going to label them all and get some different like brands and concepts out of it. Um, so that will eventually go into distribution as well in 2021 probably. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. We, um, we ordered these bottles. It seems like ages ago, but again, like everything right now, it's been stuck in customs or it's been stuck somewhere because uh, no one's allowed to touch it. So we're expecting those like within the month. The first carryout order I did, I added a bottle of vodka. Actually, I, I want to say it's the first time I had any of your spirits, and my wife was out of vodka. And when I showed up to pick up the order, uh, that weekend you guys were, like, adding in, like, a, a free, like, mule upgrade to it yeah. that I didn't know till I got there. And as the guy walked out, he was all excited because he knew he was giving me some, a bonus, right? A couple right. ginger beers and some limes, and you even had a bag that had some mint in it. That was pretty sweet. Got to say that that made my uh, next couple of nights pretty awesome. And now you guys kind of sell it that way. If you do a carryout order, you could go online and kind of pick that as an option. That's pretty clever. It works really well for that for for making a drink at home on your own without you guys having to mix it. And we had to kind of uh, again in the process of evolution during all this. We we're like, well, we want we want people to know that you know we could be a kind of one stop shop for some stuff and in your needs. And so we added a, a mule kit. We added a bloody Mary kit. We added, um, you know, we had never bottled our rye and bourbon for sale. We'd only put it on, you know, behind the bar. So we, you know, offered a bunch of, uh, of stuff to kind of show off what we've been doing. And uh, I never want to say this epidemic or this pandemic has been fruitful. It's, it's, it's not fun, but it's been a way to kind of show I don't want to say show off, but show that we're different and show that we're a little bit more than just Norm's raggedy ass. And right. uh, not a lot of people know that. I mean, even 
you know, the halo effect, I call it, the outside of Metro Detroit and Ann Arbor, uh, we did an interview with MLive yesterday, and he was blown away to know that we were the seventh largest brand in the state of Michigan. And he was like, yeah, well, you know, you, you leave the outskirts of Metro Detroit, not a lot of people know that. Um, well, one, congratulations. And two, you know, a story to that, I was uh, outside of the Lunnington area a couple of weeks ago, staying at a lake house and uh, that my aunt owns, and we were uh, hanging out with some of my cousins uh, outside, socially distanced, and I brought a bunch of Pilsner by default and El Agaro with me, and when I open up, and I love my, my cousins, right, but mm-hmm. they're up there, and they're light beer drinkers, okay, so I open up the fridge, and the fridge is, like, full of bush light, like, pretty much half of the fridge is bush light and bud light, and I'm like, yikes, and, and on here I am, like, I'm staying, my wife and I are staying at this house for a week. So, like, we brought up stuff to drink, including, you know, the Pilsner and Elegal. But I brought those two on purpose because I wanted to introduce those two to my cousins who I knew were light beer drinkers. And it was funny. Uh, even my uncle, you know, who's, uh, who's like, you know, 70, um, he loved the Elegal. And then they were asking, God, where can they get that? What's this brewery? And I go, well, this is one of the biggest breweries in Michigan. And I go, you just need to ask at your local store you're buying beer from for them to bring in more Griffin Claw. Like they might just have the IPA. As I totally said what you just said, basically, even though I I didn't realize that was a standard thing to say. But I was just like, you guys need to get it. And then after the fact, they're like emailing me, what was the name of that beer again? And now they're all asking for it because they love those two because they're super approachable beers that are good entry points for folks that maybe aren't necessarily craft beer drinkers. Well, I think what, what's kind of happened in this industry is that like super locality matters more than anything in the world. And I understand that on the west side of the state is kind of like the Bible belt of the brewing industry in the state of Michigan. So to, to go over to the west side and, and try to compete with the two hearteds the all days, those are those are literally the staples of that style. So I, I, I understand that we're not going to be, you know, a, a two hearted. Uh, I would, you know, the Sounds amount of res- so. yeah, the amount of respect I have for uh, my brethren in this industry, I understand completely the locality, the support your local business. Now we're still local in the state of Michigan, obviously, but to go down the road and you know, in Grand Rapids and see fifteen breweries literally on one street, I, I understand that we're we're behind the eight ball a little bit on that because we're not right down the road. Now, I, I believe that we kind of take a step up with, you had mentioned, you know, price difference and the quantity and the quality control that we can offer, which is a little different than the smaller breweries than us. But I still respect that. I mean, I live in Royal Oak. I can walk to four breweries from my house. And I, you know, Eddie at River Rouge, love him. I'll support him to the day I die. I love River Rouge. You know, love Lilies and what they've been doing. I love Royal Oak Brewery. We get food from Royal Oak Brewery like once a month. So I respect locality. I, I think we're in an industry now where there's 400 breweries in the state of Michigan and you have to support your, your neighbor. So I respect that entirely. I love Eastern market brewing. I love the Ferndale project. I love uh, batch. I love anything in Metro Detroit because uh, I don't think Metro Detroit gets in Detroit itself gets uh, a lot of respect for the brewing. Yeah, I really agree with that. I feel like I'm always out there banging that drum as much as possible when I'm talking to people, when they say, what breweries do you go to? Where do you go? What are your favorites? You know, and I'm like, there's so many, 
you know, and then I think from people out of the market, they don't always get that because they, you know, from a more national scale, it's the, the founders and bells part that's distributed a bit more and, and maybe at water, depending on where you are. And uh, they know that. Right. And we try to open their mind up to like all these other great things. And you guys have done such an amazing job of helping to do that by making part of your portfolio, like super approachable. And then obviously the other part, you know, high end, right. With flying Buffalo and all the variants and everything you kind of have in between. Uh, it's, it's, it's very well-rounded that, that smaller breweries can't always, they can't easily do that. And they can't definitely do that necessarily on the scale because they don't necessarily have the resources. So it's always fun to get to talk to someone about that. Yeah. It's, uh, we, we kind of did an ass backwards a little bit where (laughs) we started out with this giant production facility and didn't really have a lot of room for innovation. So then our, our expansion technically Rochester Hills has been all about innovation. So Rochester Hills, we call a think tank because it's where we come up with the next, our, our next ideas. But the way that it's evolving is that we're looking at Rochester Hills now as our collaboration. So we haven't really had a lot of time uh, to, to kind of reach out and do those collaborations, but that we're starting to set those up currently. Um, so the last like three weeks I've, I've been talking with a lot of people to kind of come out and do some collabs uh, when we all have time. Um, and, and a lot of that at the beginning will be focused on our Metro Detroit brethren of trying to like, you know, Hey, I love what you do. Do you love what I do? Do you want to work on this together? Do, you know? So we, we've been working at trying to get that settled and try to get uh, some pieces together so that we can do that. Um, because I've been in this industry for 13 years now. I've at one point or another, I've sold most of the beer in Michigan uh, for breweries. So like I, the mutual respect that I have for people is out of this world. And I don't think I'm not one of those people that think that my shit don't stink. So right. uh, I, I really want to support and really want to get a, a collaborative effort in the States. I think that's how we, how we move up and move forward. I think that comes with experience too, kind of having that attitude because you, you've been around the block a little bit now. I'll, I'll admit, like, I feel more like that more now than ever uh, from when I started about 12 years ago in the industry. And uh, I, I love, I always got into this industry because I love the community aspect of it. And I think at times as a tour operator, you know, your customers will give you their opinion of everything, right? Just like you have, customers that come into Griffin that give your opinion about everything or post it somewhere. And uh, I always try to be kind of the Switzerland guy in that conversation. Right. And if I'm getting interviewed for an article about the industry and, and you always have the interviewer always wants to ask you, what's your favorite beer or what's your favorite brewery? And I just can't stand those kind of questions because it just changes all the, like, I don't have a favorite, like, and they don't, it's almost like they can't believe that answer. Because you want to, because my answer is always, well, the brewing community is a, it's a great community. And I love trying, if you love craft beer, you love trying all kinds of craft beer. So you're always constantly trying new things and you're excited by new things. Right. And uh, that's what makes this industry so great. So it's exciting to see that you guys are interested in doing some collaborations and, or just have some more bandwidth, maybe kind of to do that. I look forward to kind of seeing what you guys do with that in the coming year. Yeah, I, I, I just, I think to like disregard uh, where you came from or disregard uh, what's around you 
is pretty ignorant. So we we love what like Eastern Market and Holmes and Batch and um, you know Oddside and, and Mitten, all these great breweries that are doing around the state, or what they're doing, and and it's not necessarily like a, a quote unquote competition all the time. Um, I think to come together and kind of realize that there's there's bigger goals to be had than just getting that tap handle at your corner bar. Uh, I think that, I think sometimes you have to overlook that a little bit to realize that like we're, we're, we're creating and we have created something for 30, 40 years in this state. That's great. Let's continue it. Uh, Cause this industry is not going to stop this industry. You know, everyone talks about that bubble bursting. It's not bursting. It's just evolving. That's all it is. I mean, uh, all these breweries doing seltzers and now all these breweries, you know, going into spirits and, you know, these, ne- the next thing that's probably going to be coming is, you know, these ready to drink RTDs. So these liquor inspired cocktail cans, uh, that'll probably be the next thing. I mean, New Holland's already doing it. Uh, Copper Craft's already doing it. So you have to continuously evolve with each other. You can't evolve against each other. That's just not what this industry is about. It's never been that. So why do it now? Right. Amen to that. For sure. Well, Kyle, if people want to get more information about Griffin Claw, how do they do it? You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we have a half-assed Twitter account, but you can do that. But no then, one's um, doing that. Don't worry about no, it. Yeah, I know. And then GriffinClaw.com. Uh, everything on there, uh, all of our employees, all of our taproom lists, uh, all about us. You can contact us, merchandise, all that stuff uh, on GriffinClaw.com. But uh, Facebook and, and Twitter, we post at our Twitter. Instagram, we post every day. Uh, in fact, we're introducing a, a new Mr. Blue Sky variant today, which is Cucumber Melon, and we've been posting that for about two days. Uh, anytime we do something new, we post on Facebook and Instagram. So uh, follow us on there, and uh, I'll probably be on there somewhere. You'll probably be on there somewhere. I think yeah. that's pretty much guaranteed since I follow sure. all that stuff. You can also follow uh, the Blackgrass on uh, Instagram as well if you're interested in the hard cider for all those folks out there. I want to thank Kyle for coming on the Beer Tour Guy podcast number 38 today. And like I said, check out GriffinClawBrewingCompany.com or just go get a carryout order from Birmingham and or Rochester Hills or just buy it at the store, man. Support, right? Uh, Thanks for coming on the show. Second time. Pretty awesome, right? Hopefully the third time we can be uh, drinking together face to face like normal people. That sounds kind of cool, doesn't it? I ache for that. So, yeah, I do too, man. I ache for that too, right? So, before your coffee wears out, I'm going to finish this uh, episode off. But for all those of you out there, thanks for listening to episode 38. Uh, if you want to learn more about Motor City Brew Tours, go to motorcitybrewtours.com or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and not Twitter. Although you could check us out on Twitter, but we don't really put anything on there anymore either. Uh, or beertourguy.com. You can subscribe to the Beer Tour Guy show uh, on all the platforms. And uh, that's probably everything. Next month, I'm going to have another great guest on. I don't even know who. So if you want to send me something on Facebook or Instagram, a message and say, hey, interview this person, I could do that. Right. So thanks a lot, Kyle, for coming on. And uh, we'll wrap it up right there.